murder, divorce, drugs. Our courts are full of stories, scary, sad, and hilarious. Most are tales stranger than fiction. These are true law stories, brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com, the ultimate resource for customer and client video stories. On this True Law Stories, I've got Professor Law Professor Irene Pons. Irene, say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about her documentary, the accidental documentary that won Impact Break or won Emmy Break for Impact. We're talking about the people that are getting deported to countries where they're not from in shackles in the middle of the night. The truth behind immigration, decapitation, prostitution, all that fun stuff, and the real truth behind asylum seekers in the U- U.S. and whether we should open the floodgates. Additionally, we're going to talk about ChatGPT in the legal process and ChatGPT in the legal education process. All of this on True Law Stories, but of course, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. You can pick up the latest book at go to testimonialsbook.com on how to collect craft and tell your customer and client stories. All right, let's get started. Before we get into your documentary, tell me about a little bit about what happened with Julie. Julie, after several months, we finally got an order allowing her to change her gender. And we worked with an organization in Alabama that was able to help us file the petition to be able to get it through the legal system. There was a lot of loopholes because of the language that was required under the Alabama statute. If you guys remember, Julie was born intersex. So because she had male and female anatomy, she was born with a penis. And so outwardly, they said, you're going to raise you a boy. And when she was 43, diagnosed with lupus and other female issues, went to the National Institute of Health, and long story short, had to transition to female because she was going to die if she didn't get off the testosterone that was going to be killing her. She had to transition to estrogen that would help reduce the symptoms that she was having from lupus. We filed the name change in Florida. It was denied. We went to then Alabama uh, with a court order from Florida after we went to a second judge who then granted the name change, hoping that we could use full faith and credit to have Alabama recognize a court order from Florida, which didn't happen. And so after we went through all that, we finally got with the ACLU in Alabama. They helped us file the case there because I'm not licensed to practice law. And Lord, it was amazing. She got everything taken care of, got the order, and we were able to put language in there that specifically said that she didn't have to have surgery to, to prove that she was female. She was born both female and male. And that was really pivotal for any other LGBTQ person that is suffering or any other intersex person that's trying to get a name change done or a gender change in Alabama. Wow. That's great. And then, but she still has more problems. Yeah, she's doing better. She's got, she has blown up on TikTok recently. I don't know if you've been following Julie's story. She had her teeth ruined by a male person, a worker at a dental company whose name I will not mention. You guys can check it out. They ruined her dentures on purpose. They made her look like a man, created a masculine jaw, and then she overheard him talking about it, referring to Julie as an it, completely demoralizing her, discriminating against her, and it has just been horrible. We're dealing with that as well. Wow. Jeez. Never ending. Never ending. But it's at least the right direction for her. And so now let's talk a little bit about your documentary because you, you've been, th- I and mean, this is amazing, everything that happened. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up there. So I, I teach law at the University of Central Florida. I'm a senior lecturer. I've been there 16 years and they 
volunteered me as tribute. I teach immigration law. So they're like, you should go to the border and work with all these nonprofits and take some students. And I'm like, I guess I'm the only Spanish speaking faculty. I'll do it. And when we get there, they're like, you're not gonna be able to film. But I did bring a producer from, we have a professional producer at the university that kind of helps us create content for our online classes to make them really cool. So I was like, I'll just bring this producer. I'd never met her. We had no budget. So they're like, you guys can share a room. And we went to Matamoros. We ended up in Brownsville, Texas, of all places, with four students. And I had no idea what was going to happen. We were there because we were going to work with a nonprofit and they were going to teach our students a little bit about law. And it turned into the craziest experience of our lives that evolved into this documentary. We call the series A Break for Impact. And it won a Suncoast Regional Emmy in 2020 for one of the episodes we did. It's called Eyes of the Night, where at the wee hours of the morning, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, we were called to an airport by one of these nonprofits who was witness at the border who found these flights that they do in the middle of the night that are super clandestine that nobody knows about where you could witness asylum seekers being shackled with five-point harnesses, hand, feet, and around the waist and loaded onto airplanes and deported to countries that have these treaties with the United States, third world countries, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and these are countries that they're not from and just sent back to their countries. And uh, it, so they're sent to countries they're not from? Correct. What, I, how is that legal? Because we have a relationship with those countries and we find signed agreements that allow us to do that. Wow. And so what has become out of these stories? So the stories are humanizing what's going on with the border, and it's really giving a voice to marginalized communities. And that's the goal. The goal is from an educational perspective. We're not, we don't have a political agenda. We're not siding with one or the other. It's been tough to get Border Patrol side. It's been tough to speak with anyone from Border Patrol. We have, in our third season, able to speak to a former Border Patrol agent and get like their side of the story. But we want to educate people on the truth. You see what's on television. You watch the news from your house. But when you're on the ground and you can actually humanize the experience and get these stories of people whose husbands have been shot, murdered, because a lot of people are like, why are they coming? Why are there so many immigrants here? And you get the real stories behind them, seeing their husband decapitated, his wife raped, the children. Are you there? Did I lose you? Sorry, I lost you. No, no problem. You all right? <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. All right. All right. So you were saying about the truth behind the immigration, what's going on and what the, how the people are injured and like the decapitations and stuff. That's the last thing I heard. Oh, you're, you're muted. Technical errors today, right? Yeah. So that's, it really changes the perspective for the students. And a lot of them have changed their career paths. As a result of watching the documentary series, we use it as modules within the coursework itself. So they watch like, some of them like to binge watch it, but other ones will go week by week. And it has to, it has to do with each chapter. So each chapter, there's an asylum chapter that we showed the episode on asylum. And it's been really formative for them. They've changed career paths. They now have a different perspective on what they want to do in life and how they want to help people or what they want to do as advocates in the legal profession. Nice. That's amazing. And has it, has it, affected anything going on at the border has it affected the courts has it affected any of the law so far our work has not we are just showing the documentary series in our course for educational purposes we've started our community outreach 
I wanted to make a huge impact. I would love for Netflix to buy the series and to get on that scale to make a difference. But at this point, it's just been educational and hopefully one day it'll get in the right hands so that more people can see it. Because once people see it, they're like, wow, the work that you're doing is amazing. It's super impactful. And I wish more people were talking about this. I wish more people were educating others away from the ignorance of the laws, the legal system, and how things are really working on the ground. Gotcha. And how is the legal system working for them? Is it, obviously it's not, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, where are the fixes in the legal system? Where do they need to be fixed? There's a lot. There's a whole laundry list. I think where we could start is obviously, from what I've seen doing asylum cases, there's a lots of delay tactics and the difficulty in the forms. Most of these people don't come from America. They're from Ukraine. They're from Africa. They're from Venezuela. All the forms are in English and they're required to translate all the forms in order to all those forms they bring in their home country language, whatever that is, they have to translate it into English. Well, where you're living on a an intentment, like a tent camp in the middle of the desert or by the Rio Grande River, you don't have access to those resources. So you can't even submit for your asylum. Or the new requirement is you have to be able to check in on a cell phone. A lot of them don't even have money to buy cell phones. So if they have to download an app to then check in, instead of having an ankle monitor, they can't even comply because they don't have the resources to do it. And from... Obviously, it's a burden on the legal system, especially if the, if it's complexity. What do you say to people that these people that are like, we don't want these people coming in the country or we shouldn't be doing this anyways? What, I mean, from your perspective of the people that you see there, what what's different in reality? If you knew their story and if you heard them and if you had an ounce of empathy in your heart, in your soul to listen to a human being, then you would change that perspective. If you would walk in somebody else's shoes for just one minute to hear the crying woman who had to leave her children or who sent them across the border by themselves, because if she stayed in her home country, her son was being threatened to be murdered, her daughter was going to be prostituted, and they were going to be killed, then perhaps that would give you an idea. And even if you don't sympathize with them or empathize, maybe you'd understand a little bit more why they come, right? Because migration is legal. We've all migrated. Everyone, you know, from our ancestors has come here one way or another. So I'm Puerto Rican. I came here from somewhere, right? Canary Islands is what my mom says, right? You never know. But I would hope that they would use that to change their perspective or at least listen to what the other side has to say. Yeah. And a lot of people say, obviously, that these are criminals. They're going to be a burden on our system. Do you, you've talked to a lot of people. Is there some truth behind that? There absolutely is. Of course, in all walks of life, you're going to have people that are good and people that are, that, that, that are bad or that do things that are inappropriate and kill and maim and murder and rape. Yes, that does exist. And that's what we hear about most of the time when we're looking at the news, we're seeing all the stories of this guy murdered and this immigrant came and this migrant did this. But where's the stories of the impoverished women? Where's the stories of the children who crossed the border because of what happened to their father who was decapitated in front of them? So you don't hear as much about the reasons why they come. You know, and there is a legal way to migrate. I'm not saying open the doors. It's super controversial. Mm -hmm. My students and I argue about this all the time. Let the floodgates open, Dr. Pons, and what's going to happen? And I'm like, listen, guys, I'm not advocating for that. There's a legal way to do everything. But we need education. Can't be ignorant. And when you see this burden on the legal system and you're saying, like, making it easier for the people, but how would you say, being obviously a, a law professor, 
you understand the law. How could the legal system be streamlined to make this more efficient and better for all parties? Having a more uniformity in the ways that things are done, not having three different systems to log into, to then have a phone call, to be able to check the status of this, but then on you have a docket and you can go online for other stuff. There's no uniformity. And then obviously every time there's a change in administration or policy, the, the way that gets out to the attorneys, we struggle as well because we're like, wait, yesterday this policy said this, and now what are they doing there? But then when it trickles down to border patrol, they're doing something totally different. It's wait a second, the title 42 ended. Why are they not letting people in now? What's going on? Oh, even though the policy changed yesterday at border patrol, they're not letting people in because they're going to be using a system of monitoring that that's changing the way they're doing it. And we're like, okay, when did they change the system? Oh, there was a memo they put out that they changed the system and now we're using an app. And I'm like, okay, so there's, Gosh. it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, law is so important, but it's also so backward when it comes to technology, isn't it? It really is. Now with ChatGPT, we're in a we're in a, a really hot mess right now with that from an educational perspective and a legal perspective. How do you see, like, what do you see? Being a professor, obviously you see students using ChatGPT. I'm sure you can tell. I, Where are we going with this? I've just been the last two weeks attending conferences on this and how it's going to impact our grading and our students. We're in a world of hurt because ChatGPT can't keep up with the technology we have. We usually have them use Turnitin, which is a software that can detect cheating. So if they're turning in a paper, it'll be like, hey, this paper is completely plagiarized. Turnitin and the technology they have can't even keep up with ChatGPT. So I don't know what we're going to do. The suggestion was, uh, because they are using it for tests, all you have to do is, and I tried it last week, I put in one of my exams into ChatGPT. It populated all the answers for the exam within seconds. And it was 90% accurate. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to change everything in my classes. Like in the fall, everything's got to change. Like the format of the questions, they've got to be more essay based. I'm going to do portfolios. So it's more based on creativity and like drafting petitions and actual legal practice versus here's an exam that's true and false because chat GPT is going to completely do away with that type of testing. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. And what do you think it's going to do to the legal system? The other, it's going to change, it's going to revolutionize the legal system. And it's going to really unfortunately impact a lot of people that have certain types of jobs where they're drafting letters, a letter to a client. I asked it to draft an opening statement for a legal argument on a case I had this week. It actually did pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, That's correct. And you see it all the time now, the auto forms, the auto job forms and the bots, like taking down information for client intakes. We're not going to need anybody doing client intakes anymore. It's interesting since I have you, because I remember, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell's book on talking with strangers, where he talks about the efficiency of parole hearings, a computer doing the parole hearing versus a judge doing the parole hearing. And the computer got it right a lot more times than the judge. Do you you see AI entering the courtroom soon? I do. And I know they're doing test pilots and programs to be able to figure out how that's going to work with now that we have law chat GPT, but I do them seeing do that, especially like hearings. Everything's doing zoom. Now we do tons of zoom hearings for court. So traffic hearings are run of the mill. If you've got a traffic, you ran a red light. It's the same result each time. The only yeah. thing that's going to change in the variable will be the criminal record or the traffic record for that particular client. If they have a super egregious record and 
a really bad poor record, then the consequences will be different. But it's all an algorithm. You could change that and be like, listen, if this guy has five tickets and one misdemeanor, then we're going to give him a huge fine and he's going to jail. Yeah. And I'm sure there's also other factors that we can't even think about that an AI can take into account. It's funny because marketing, people are like, oh, they're reading my mind. I'm like, no, they have 65 million points of data. They know what you watched yesterday. They know everything that you do. It's not reading your mind. It's just, it's the logical outcome of you seeing these 20,000 different things. It's really interesting. (laughs) I love it. I'm all into chat GPT. I downloaded it. I have it. I'm teaching the students how to do it. We're going to incorporate it because it's part of the world. Now the other professors are like, I'm not going to use it. I'm going to ban it in my class. We can't use it at all. I'm like, so we've got the extremes of people are like so scared of the technology and then people that are going to embrace it. Yeah, but it's you're not the cat's out of the bag. The Pandora's box is open. We're not getting it back in there. It's no. good that you're teaching it. I think it's it needs to be learned as a tool, not a, something to be afraid of. That's amazing. So when where can we see your documentary? We have a website. It's called a breakforimpact.com. And I've got the trailer on there. If you guys email me individually, since we don't have it for public distribution, I can send you guys the links if you guys want to showcase it, watch it. But the trailer is pretty impactful. And we're in post-production for season three, and then I'll leave in a week for El Paso. Awesome. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being on True Law Stories. This is wonderful. We'll definitely catch up with you when you, uh, the next level of it and everything's going on, or hopefully it'll be you and not your chat GPT counterpart. You never know. (laughs) You never know. I make a good meme. (laughs) And besides that, where's the best place to follow you, Irene? Online. So I just got Facebook right now and we have a website for Break for Impact, Instagram, a Break for Impact. So my Facebook is Irene Beatrice. All right. We'll put a link to all that in the show notes so people can follow you and follow Break for Impact. Thank you so much for being on True Law Stories. Thanks, Ian. It's a pleasure. All right. And thank you all for taking Irene and I your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and True Law Stories. True Law Stories has been brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. Testimonials stink. No one wants to watch a testimonial or read a case study. You need video case stories for your business. Go to videocasestory.com to learn more.